Welcome to Sequelitis, everybody. I'm Matt. And I am Manny. And we are coming to you remotely here. We're both in different places. I'm currently in, in St. Louis. Yes, and, and I'm um, in L.A. And by the time you're hearing this, um, uh, Biff from Back to the Future 2 uh, is going to be President of the United States. Oh. So. If you're wondering why we're not like screaming um, because uh, the world is ending around us, uh, it's because uh, in the time that we're living in right now, the world has not ended yet. We are just days away from yes. our inevitable uh, tragic we're end. You know, we're scared, but we're trying to be optimistic, and uh, hopefully everything will be okay. And yeah, so if you're in a bunker somewhere and uh, you still have your iTunes connection and, and all of that is up and running, or Stitcher, uh, or you just go straight to podca- uh, Podomatic, um, you know, hey, we're here for you. Um, we might be we'll dead s- by the time you hear this, but we hope you enjoy uh, <laughs> the last few moments of our, our uh, living, breathing, vibrant lives. Well, speaking of the apocalypse, um, I finally saw 10 Cloverfield Lane. Really? Yeah, that's a movie that you have recommended to me, mostly on the podcast, but also like in real life. But yeah, I, I, I've said on and off record that that was one of my favorite movies of 2016. Yeah, and a couple of my other friends said the same thing. They saying you got to watch this, got to see it. So I finally got around to seeing it. Um, I bought it. I think I bought it on Black Friday. Yes. I yeah, did. you bought it, and you got uh, you you got a Blu-ray that had a really great uh, minimalist. Um, cover art on it oh yeah yeah i love that new cover art that they do i don't know what the secret is behind whatever's happening with that but that is like the coolest trend in blu-rays right now when they simplify classic movie covers it works better with classics because 10 cloverfield lane's a brand new movie but it does still work but to see like new artwork for big lebowski and fargo and all these real old movies like that is really neat yeah well, in Ten Cloverfield Lane, I mean that's that's a high concept movie, and you can you can kind of sum up the premise of the movie in images, and that's why it works so well for that. Um, yeah. You know, some of your classic like Hitchcock films, you can do that. You can sum up the premise of the film within images, but then you have other movies that are really convoluted and confusing, like uh, Collateral Beauty. How the fuck would you sum that up into images? Um, you can't. No, I don't know. But, but then, uh, Tim Cloverfield seen... Lane is kind of Hitchcockian. It's kind of like Rear Window. It's like yeah. you're stuck there in the house the whole time. Well, and if you go back to and listen to the episode that uh, I did with Jason Campos, uh, the the guy who watched 400 movies, um, yeah. he had a he had a great. Um, there, there's a great term for movies like that. They're called capsule movies, and that is where oh, the okay. the characters are all kind of like stuck together in uh some sort of capsule uh where they're all in one they're 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 in one confined space and they've got to Mm -hmm. try and figure out some way to um you know solve a mystery solve a puzzle or figure out a way to escape uh where it is that they're currently at and 10 cloverfield lane is a great movie and it feels so much bigger than the than the space that it's confined within um but at the same time I really liked it because I felt like it, it did a good job of, of kind of capturing that sort of uh, sense of 
claustrophobia and um, you know just just the way that you would feel sort of uh, stifled and and begin to experience a lot of anxiety by being caught up in a small space like that uh, where you're mm-hmm. constantly around uh, these other people. But but what I want to hear is your thoughts on it. Well, I've got a lot of thoughts on it. Um, first, I want to start with John Goodman. I think, you know, I love to stack up performances from actors and say, like, here's a great movie they're in, here's a great movie. And, you know, this is another great performance for John Goodman. And I think that is going to kind of be for an, uh, foremost in most people's recollection of the movie is his portrayal. It's a, it's almost a sequel to Walter from Big Lebowski. It's like, it's Vietnam vet <laughs> kind of a guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, he does. Well, he, he, he is somebody that has a military background in this movie. He, he mentions that, right? Um, he, I don't think he mentions anything specific. I watched it like three times and I, I think he said he, he talked about a career he had with. Oh yeah, it was in the military. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He did military he was, work with on satellites. Yeah, yeah. So it, again, he is he is somebody that has a military background, but um, you know he doesn't have any of that, uh, any of the endearing like sort of lovable openness that uh, Walter Sobchak had. Um, instead, he's just got this. Like, like, okay, the scene where Walter pulls out a gun um, on uh, Smokey, uh, that yeah. is, that's, that's this character all throughout it. Just this <laughs> menacing, scary it's just a fuck game. that you're just like, you know what, man? Okay, I'm marketed zero. I'm marketed zero. <laughs> there are rules, Walter. This isn't Nom. <laughs> a world of pain. <laughs> I know I'm misquoting it, but that is such yeah. a funny movie. Oh my god, I love that scene. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, uh, how about how about the scene in um, the scenes in this movie, dude? It's a series of great scenes. That's my second. That's the second thing I noticed. Yeah, it's and it was you and I. We're having the conversation. Another. We're having a conversation about what you thought was one of the best scenes in Ten Cloverfield Lane, and what was that? Do you do you recall? Yeah, definitely the one. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, sorry, I just have to compose myself. It's such a good movie. But it's the one where he's like, <laughs> where he says, um, I'm always watching. I'm always watching. I'm always watching. I see you. I see you when you sleep. And the answer is Santa Claus. <laughs> but he says something like I know what you're up to <laughs> I know what you're doing and uh, the guy starts getting freaked out because he doesn't realize he's just trying to give him a clue and then uh, Mary Elizabeth uh, whatever her name is she's like Santa Claus Santa Claus <laughs> and there's like this this moment to where like it's almost like in the old like Bugs Bunny cartoons to where if he would have like turned his back they both would have been like whew but yeah it's great it's some it's some really great filmmaking it's some really good storytelling it it it, to me like if you if you uh just kind of walked into it like um you know right from the moment she wakes up in the basement um Mm -hmm. and then you left uh to go to the bathroom right before she right after the second she gets out um you know 
that would you'd walk away and you'd be like wow this feels like some kind of like a hitchcock film or something like that it would it would have that that very like throwback sort of uh sense to it but the beginning and the ending of the movie um almost feel like they're they're parts from a different movie that were kind of slapped onto this i know i I totally agree with you both the beginning and the end are both trash it's not even the first act like the first act is good but the opening little bit is trash in my opinion well, what do you think they could have done differently, though, to, uh, to 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 make that better? Because my thing was, it's like I didn't, uh, I, I did my best to try and avoid like any spoilers about the movie as much as I wanted to know, like, oh my God, what happens? What is actually going on <laughs> in this movie, um, and how does this tie into Cloverfield? Um, well, okay, if if I if I'm writing this thing, if this is me answering, like if I'm writing this thing, what I'm saying is. This is the ultimate example of trying to make a movie that has duality to it. On the one hand, you think she might be uh, kidnapped by this guy and the world might be fine outside. And that's the Twilight Zone ending, obviously. You know that. And then, or yeah. he, he might be right and there really is an apocalypse and he's just like the, the he's the, <laughs> uh, what do you call those guys that, uh, that Doomsday uh, Prepper. Yeah, he's the doom, he's the the doomsday prepper with the least amount of bedside manner that you've ever met. It's like why can't he be hospitable, this guy? <laughs> Which is what is so great about this performance, because that to me, I'm like when when I I mean I've watched you and I like saw some clips from Doomsday Preppers. I, I feel like I've yeah. watched a little bit more of it than you have, but we both grew up in rural Texas. Like we've met people like this. And it's like, well, there's, yeah, there's like a, a couple of like hillbilly person. fantasies. And that's, that's one of the fantasies. And you always hear people sort of talk about different variations on it, like, oh, I want to have a farm. I want to plant seeds. You know, I want to have a gun safe. You know, I want to have a silo. I want to have my own land. Like it kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the ultimate is I want to like, have a bitch I can fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I want to kidnap a bitch. <laughs> I don't want my fucking friend who helped me build my bunker coming in here and cock blocking me. Yeah, and I mean, th- and that was a great o- dynamic. Like uh, that, that. There's an guy, obvious like, flaw in the logic of the movie, though. Like you're a guy who loves to look at flaws and talk about them. And there's yeah. one really obvious flaw in this one is that the opening makes you believe that that the end of the world has happened all of a sudden, and that this girl had some sort of accident where she just didn't catch the whole thing. Like she just didn't realize the apocalypse was happening. She was like too mad at her boyfriend or whatever. Like, like what is that boyfriend shit at the beginning? It's, it's mind numbing. But I mean, yeah, it it is something that again, like um, if you really wanted to improve this movie, that's, that's like, that's the second place you go to first. You do something different with the ending. Um, and then you do something different with the beginning. To to me, I just felt like um, I mean, it's know, such a great movie, and like the beginning and the end, they don't tarnish it at all. But those are problem spots in the movie for sure. Yeah, I mean, it it's the way to take a movie that is an A and kind of push it to an A plus is to right or a classic sort of change those things. Yeah, and it's it's almost not even as memorable as it could or should be. I think if it had the right ending, that you would. That you had, it should have the beginning that you watched the middle too, and it should have the end of the movie that you started at the middle and saw. Like obviously, yeah. the ending should be that it's okay outside. Like that's the only ending that makes sense. 
it's it's unbelievable to think that there really is an apocalypse. This this guy really did survive it. He really well, it's, it's not just an apocalypse, but it's the exact apocalypse that he describes. Uh, and yeah. it's and it's one of the most wild ass apocalypses uh, you can imagine. And you um, don't not even, need that. Not even you don't not even the that apocalypse ending. that our listeners are currently living through now that uh, is brought upon by our our new president, uh, Emperor uh, Cittadini. There's something to be said for predictability. Like, that's the ending that I predicted. It's the ending that I wanted, but it's the ending that this movie should have had. It should have had the it's fine outside ending. It just makes more sense. Well, it's it's the ending that I would have wanted when I was, like, 15. Um, you know, that she goes <laughs> dark outside, ending, yeah. and all of a sudden it turns into fucking uh, Independence Day 1. Um, you know, that's that's the ending I would have wanted when I was 15. But now that I'm in my 30s... I'm sort of like, I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, there was something going on. <laughs> and this is one of the things that could have been going on. But Wait, look, can, I, can I tell you? At can the I same s- time, if, 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 like, at the very, very, like, last second, you remember the she lady like, wakes up that was... from the car accident. And it's just like, she's like, I had a dream. And you were there. And you were there. And you were there. You know, I know. I that also, would have made I also just bought, much sense. I also bought Wizard of Oz the same day. So I can relate. <laughs> I watched Wizard of Oz before I watched Cloverfield. See, that's the thing is every fucking movie that, you know, ends with the twist of it was all a dream. Like, fuck that. You shouldn't do that because Wizard of Oz already fucking did that. You cannot do what Wizard of Oz did and fucking nailed. Like, nobody else can do that. The only way you could do that is if you're Rick and Morty and you subvert that. And that's not even a movie. That's a fucking show. Right. But anyway, what about the lady that came to the glass at the back door? And she was like, please let me in. And then, yeah. she was de- and then the girl was describing to John Goodman. She was like, there's a girl out here. She really needs help. And he's like, don't let her in, Michelle. Yeah. But that, that did like the, the whole scene when, when she first like hits him with the bottle or whatever and then runs up the stairs and she's about to unlock the door. And and he's like he's like no don't do that you kill us all like that was great because it was this like moment of like tension of like okay is this guy right or is is she like right to try and like escape and get out of there and like it created some great tension but again because they had made the decision that like oh yeah no there's actually something going on outside and it's one of those things where like the kind of like. I think a lot of people are bothered because they did, like, do this thing where, like, well, they got to have it both ways. Because on one hand, well, it's like, well, she had to I escape totally because the guy was going to fucking eventually kill her. Okay, but at the but same how about time, this, he man. was saving her. Plot, plot holes, okay? What about a Geiger counter? You know, at the end of the movie, they basically inferred that it was not toxic outside because she was able to be out there without her suit on and she was okay. So all he needed to do was test the area for radioactivity with a Geiger counter, which if he's a doomsday prepper, he cares about nuclear war, he would have that. He would know if it was, uh, what kind of condition it was outside. You know, it doesn't make sense that that it wasn't toxic outside. And, you know, he could have just, he could have said, look, it's, I tested it, it's not toxic. You can go out there, but, you know, you can go out there and peek, but I'm telling you, this is really happening and let, like earn her trust. You know, but yeah. when he's like, "Don't go out there, Michelle. You can't help them." And then what was that on that lady's face if it wasn't radiation? You know, so he he doesn't have all the answers, and his 
he's not a very good doomsday prepper. You know, and yeah. he, and he doesn't. He's kind of like Bane in that third Batman movie where it doesn't make sense the way that he plays the character and who the character is. It's the same kind of problem. It's like if he was that character, those kind of people are hospitable people, especially when they're right about something and and they're being nice to you, you know. But he wrecked into her and then kidnapped her. I mean, that's that's not that great of a deed. You know, like what does he want? A hug? Yeah. You well, know what I mean, mean, that 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 was something that was kind of unanswered. Was, um, you know, he he did say, "Oh well, I I made a mistake and I I hit you and I just kind of panicked and I threw you in my truck rather than leave you to die." But right. at the same time, from what I recall from watching the movie, um, you know, in those first opening moments was that when she was at the gas station filling up her car before the accident happened, was that uh, she had crossed paths with him. Even though you don't see him, you just see a truck, which I'm pretty sure is his. And then mm-hmm. later it's on the road and then it runs her off the road. And so that leads you to like wonder, like, okay, did was this intentional? Did he mean to run her off the road? Right. And so that sets up a lot of mystery there. Oh um, yeah, but uh, something I was talking about earlier that I didn't quite get to finish about was like the duality of the movie. Like both times they're trying to play it both ways. Like you know, he could be right, she could be right. And it reminds me of uh, like, did you ever see Twelve Monkeys? That's one that I especially love. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in that one, you don't know if Bruce Willis is crazy or if he's not crazy. And it's one of those – it has the same kind of a vibe to it. So I thought they were kind of borrowing that that element, not not just from that movie, but from all the movies that have done that, you know, borrowing that element in a way that was really fun. But I, I thought the setup of how they got the two characters together, it would have been easier to make it simpler. And so, but Yeah, and, and here's the thing that you could have possibly done with 12 Col- Cloverfield Lane uh, – God, 12 Cloverfield Lane. Now I'm combining the two movies. 10 Cloverfield Lane, <laughs> um, you know, to where you borrow something from 12 Monkeys and make, uh, you know, the latter, or the, the former a better movie, um, is that there's two ways to look at uh, 12 Monkeys. And you can look at it pessimistically and say that everything Bruce Willis did was for naught and yeah. he ultimately failed at his mission. Or you can look at it from a very optimistic point and say that, okay, the fact that um, the guy who releases the virus is on the plane sitting next to one of the people that we've seen uh, as as being uh, someone in the future who's trying to change the past, that that Mm -hmm. means that Bruce Willis's mission and his sacrifice ultimately uh, paid off because now she knows who uh, releases the virus, and she's gone back in time to stop him from causing the apocalypse. Yeah. And so uh, that's the thing is yeah. if you don't commit to at the end of the movie, once she gets out showing that, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Walter Sobchak was right the whole time, and there is aliens, and there is a toxic gas out there that's well, killing that, that's, people. This is almost their third strike because now they're adding in – we have to believe in an alien invasion happen. Like, yeah, like I, I can believe the end of the world happened any number of ways, but I just, I don't believe that aliens would nuclear bomb the planet and then come down and like squash every human one by one. Well, I don't like, think I'm it's not... that they, they did a nuclear bomb. I, I think it was supposed to be um, like chemical warfare. 
I, I uh-huh. think I think it was like they released some sort of like um, toxic gas or nerve gas or something because uh, that that was one of the things is when they showed when when he was like he was like look at the pigs out there and and you can kind of see there's something messed up with the pigs but I'm looking and I'm like okay you can read this two ways you can read this as like uh, there there's something out there that like killed the pigs and that was the thing that like set him off and let him know that he needs to go into the bunker. Or mm-hmm. you can be like, no, he did something to the pigs, and he's right. so crazy that he's convinced himself that aliens did it. Right. But then, but then they just they go fully in that direction. I think that's where the movie falls off for a lot of people. I mean, ultimately, but, I really like the movie. Still, no, me I too. know it has flaws. Yeah, and it's like a no, B it's, plus. It's, yeah, this is what I think you and I both like to nitpick movies a little bit. It doesn't mean that we don't like them. Like, if it's worth talking about this much, that means it was a good movie. Like, with a bad movie, there's nothing to say. Like, yeah, it sucked, you know? But with this, it was so good that the couple of little moments that weren't good just make you wonder, like, why, why didn't they do something different there? So yeah. also, another element is, uh, you called him Walter Sovchek, but I forget his name in this movie. But uh, John Goodman... Uh, the way that he plays the character, it's kind of like he's been in this situation for years and she's like waking out of a coma. That's how he plays it. You know, like he's not, he's not startled. He's not saying, oh my God, I don't know. Let me check this over here. Let me check this. Let me check that. He's just telling her like, you're going to sit there, Michelle. You're going to sit there and you're going to be quiet. Like he's acting so crazy. Like any rational person would just... But no, I mean, here's the thing is, like, the kind of person who would go to the extreme measures that he does, um, you know, in, in setting up this whole situation, I mean, that's the thing. That's the fascinating thing for people when it comes to doomsday preppers is that it, it's this glimpse into mental illness. It's the same thing with people who are hoarders, where you can look in and you can see, like, a physical manifestation, uh, manifestation of their mental illness and just sit there and like look at it and say like okay how can i deconstruct this this to understand what is going <laughs> on in someone's head and like that's what this movie is is this movie ultimately is a character study of someone who is a doomsday prepper it's just that uh it it, it just so happens that instead of solely being a study of that that person with that mental affliction that makes them convinced that the end of the world is happening they mm-hmm. choose to say, well, we'll just follow them in the process of the apocalypse and kind of like show how they go through everything. Well, like, okay, first strike is he's a single guy. You know, I think a single guy is so depressed, he's kind of like, what, what, what's to save? You know, you've got to have a certain mindset to be a doomsday prepper. I think you're the kind of guy who goes out, gets a good job as good as you can, gets a woman as good as you can, has kids, and kind of believes that that's your that's what you're here to do. You know, you're here to express your, express yourself through your genes, you know, and yeah. you come down, you have a big family and then you start thinking, I got to protect myself. I've got something to protect, you know, a person with nothing like what he has, what's he saving? Just his life, his pathetic life. Like, what is he saving? Nothing. I mean, if he was really a doomsday prepper, he would have a wife, he'd have several kids, you know, and even if he was a crazy person, he would have tricked a woman into it or adopted kids. I mean, what are you saving, you know? And, yeah. and look at the shape he's in, you know. Now, you do see people in that shape that are doomsday preppers, but you also see, like, healthy, fit people. I think the way he acted, it would make more sense if he was a healthy, fit person. Because he was all, I don't know. You know like, like, 
of of all the doomsday preppers that I've seen, um, I mean, there's there's uh, you know a good percentage of them are thin people, but I wouldn't say that they're exactly like the pinnacle of health. Um, well, but, of but the this, episodes this of guy's Doomsday so Prepper that I watched, um, this guy, like, this like guy's there's there's one. There's there's one uh, about uh, this this girl uh, who lives in Houston, or at least lived in Houston at the time that they taped the show. And what's yeah. funny about that is uh, I, I I discovered Doomsday Preppers because of TC from uh, It's Just Banter and TC's movie podcast. And yeah. this girl in Houston, TC went to uh, alternative school with her. And oh. look, here's the thing: is you've got to. Um, I think it was Discovery Channel, or it was the Learning Channel. Yeah, I've TLC. seen it. I, I love the show. I've yeah, with with uh, um, <laughs> well, what did she call her cat? It was it was like um, it was like uh, Apocalypse Kitty or, or Survival Kitty. <laughs> she's like she's like she's showing off all of her stripper shoes. She's got the stripper pole, and like you know, maybe that sounds exciting to someone that's listening to this right now, but like, trust me, when you see her, you're just like, oh yeah, no, I would not give her any dollar bills. In fact, I would get up and I would leave the club. And it's not you like she's like a big, fat, disgusting blob, but she's just, she's, she's not, she's not like what you would think of when you think of like somebody who's fit. Um, yeah. And then she's got this, this little cat running around in her apartment and it has a name, but she keeps calling it survival kitty. And then she starts talking about her plan, and uh, part of her plan is uh, she picks up the cat, she holds it very tenderly, and then she makes her fingers like a gun, holds it up to the back of the cat's skull, and she's like, yeah, she's like, he had a good life, but, you know, right to the, the base of the skull. And then she starts tearing up, thinking about, like, imaginarily killing her cat because it's the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is so later in the episode she 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 goes through her plan and her plan is they have like a bug out pack and a vehicle but the vehicle is like 15 miles away in Houston <laughs> fucking Texas and so she's like yeah I'm going to have to like hike to the to the vehicle and if oh, my I boyfriend's not with me yeah, yeah if my one. boyfriend's not with me then you know screw him and they show her like they show this <laughs> montage of like her exercising and like doing all of her stuff and it's the best fucking thing it's so great but then she <laughs> she she like tries to like actually like um really carry out what her plan is going to be so she does this 15 mile hike through Houston at, at night and fucking she gets like three miles in and she's like, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, God, I thought it was a better shape than this. <laughs> and I think she gets like halfway and she has to like call it quits. Dude, my favorite, like, my favorite um, uh, trend right now with uh, that stuff, with the Doomsday Preppers is tactical bags. Have you seen these these before? There, You can find tactical these bags. Yeah, tactical bags. Um, you'll have these people, uh, I see them on YouTube, like trying to sell these things on the internet and it'll be like a, it'll be like a sling, how do I describe it, a messenger bag, but then you can swing it around the front and they'll, they'll be like, so you can reach your hand down in here and you can fight out of this bag. Yep. You can fight out of this bag right here. And that means fight like, fight out can... of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have one of those bags? No, no, no. <laughs> Because here, uh, here's a little thing for anybody in the audience listening right now. Matt has this thing where he loves getting messenger bags. Um, no, I went through a period where I do. I haven't, 
bought one in a long time. Oh, you're cured of that madness now? <laughs> for, well, for a period the... of time, Matt was a messenger bag hoarder. And like every time I go to his places, he's like, man, check out this new bag I got. Like, like I can put a computer in here. I can put a tablet in here. I can put my phone. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but you got like eight bags. Are you going to use them all at once or like, you know, one for each day of the week? And you're like, no, 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 no. Like, like, you're trying to, like, convince me that, like, each bag had a purpose. And I was like, dude, just get a bag you like. I don't care. I don't care which one it is. I know, but it's so hard to find bags that you like. And so yeah. I probably bought, like, nine, and I threw away, like, six. I, now I have three. But I would only use one of them, honestly. I've got, a great little, uh, got. I've got a great little North Face messenger bag. Um, but mm-hmm. the thing is, is, like, it's it's just the right size to where I can rarely ever use it. Uh, but man, like for the few times when I get on my bike or my motorcycle, that thing is fucking like when when I just need to carry a few things, that thing is perfect for that. So, yeah. um, so I guess I, have, I, I haven't having cool. Bags I owe you a thanks nice. for getting me on that. <laughs> well, because I had my tablet separate from my keyboard and my mouse, and I wanted to be able to like travel and like write all out of this bag, but it had like these. Because I like the idea of having separate parts. Like, I don't like laptops. I don't like the keyboards on laptops. I think the design is it's made for failure. It's like, but if you had a separate keyboard and then, like, tablet and then a mouse all separate, it has, like, a desktop vibe to it. It just is nicer. I like that better. Yeah. And so I was trying to get a bag where I could carry all that shit. And, of course, I never really took it out that much. But, you know, just for fun, just to have something to do, I guess. Well, I've got, um, you know, just just for the sake of uh, the audience, if anyone gives a damn, I've got an Asus ZenBook, and uh, I love this thing. But, but yeah, whenever I'm on a plane, because I travel a lot now for work, um, yeah, there are times where I'm just like, you know what? I kind of wish this was just like a tablet with like a little kickstand, you know, and a little, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Bluetooth uh, keyboard I could keep in my lap. Then it would be perfect. Yeah. So that's that's something that I think you got right. But um, yeah. So anyway. Uh, I, I guess I guess that's everything that we have to say about Ten Cloverfield Lane for now. Uh, let, me, um, let me let me check my my whole database here. Um, the thing about the aliens, one thing we didn't cover was at the end of the movie they try to shove this bizarre message down our throats, where she doesn't get killed by the alien that tries to crush her, and then she tunes into a radio station where it's like the Resistance, and they're you know they're like you've got to join us we're in atlanta you know or that was the walking dead but wherever they are no it was houston i think it was houston um oh, she yeah, was yeah. in louisiana yeah yeah, yeah, yeah she that's... was in louisiana i think i think she went to um i don't know maybe she was going to lsu or something and uh, that's how she ended up at uh, walter sobchak's place but uh, yeah yeah, it, it it could also be like where I'm from in Texas is also 40 miles from that location that it names, uh, Lake Charles. That's also like around the area I'm from. So if it's in Texas, then it's over or, there. Or if True Detective Season 1. Yeah, just like The tr- only just good like, season of True Detective. Yeah, it's, it's what <laughs> – it's the thing that proved it should have been a miniseries, Season 1. <laughs> The thing that proved that uh, Carrie Fukunaga, uh, Carrie Fukunaga. So, wait, what, was so the what's key your opinion? What's what's your opinion of her, like fighting back on the aliens and tuning into the resistance? Well, like the, I mean, I did I did like that they kind of subverted the whole. If you show a gun in the first act, it has to go off in the third act, kind of thing. I mean, again, I talked about this um, on a previous episode with Jason. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, because they she she has that that bottle of scotch, and she even like talks about it. I think when she's in um, 
inside of the the bunker, she kind of like mentions that as a way uh, to not only remind the audience, but as an excuse to kind of like go outside. Um, mm-hmm. But then she ends up using it in the third act. And that was one of the things like when she did that, I was like, okay, I think I'm okay with this. The fact that they're kind of tying it into the story and they're not just tying it into you know, something that was in the last, like, 15 minutes, but tying into something that was in the very, uh, in the first act. Um, but, again, it's 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 very gimmicky, and I can kind of get how people, whether they're writers or whether they're aware of the writing process or not, how it kind of, like, turns some of them off. But um, to me, it was just like, all right, you know, I, I, I liked what happened in the middle of the movie enough that none of this is really bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I'm with, someone. If you go back and re-listen to a lot of our episodes, I'm someone that will pick fucking movies apart. I'm I'm a prick about doing that. But yeah. with this movie, I don't know. Like it was weird. Um, can I can I well, tell the but, story of what happened to me when I went to watch this movie? No, go ahead. Okay, so I saw this movie in Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, I was there um, for work. You know, staying at a hotel that was about a mile away from a movie theater. And I live in Southern California, and I, I just, I, I'm used to walking to a lot of places. You and I, like, go on a lot of walks, and, yeah. and I do that on my own and everything. Um, so whenever I can walk to a place, like, I just go ahead and do that. Um, to me, like, living in Los Angeles, like, driving a car and trying to find parking and paying for parking and worrying about getting a parking ticket and shit like that, like, that's a pain in the ass. And, like, a lot of times, it's part of the reason why I drive a motorcycle now and I have bikes. You know, I don't want to deal with any of that. So I, I decided, like, I'll leave the car for my work partner. That way, if he needs to take it somewhere, he can. Um, and I walk to the movie theater. Well, as I'm walking to the movie theater, um, I get to this intersection where there's not really a crosswalk. You know, you and I have kind of a, a funny history, especially you, about um, jaywalking in Los Angeles and, like, how yeah. costly that can be. <laughs> but uh, so I'm, I'm walking and I'm trying to just go in a straight line because the theater is down the same street from the hotel that I'm staying at. It's just yeah. about a mile away. And so I'm walking and I'm like, I don't want to cross the street and then cross and then cross back to the same side of the street that I was just on in order to get to this fucking movie theater. I'm just going to walk through this intersection because it's just a driveway for a shopping center. And so I start walking through this intersection. There's no crosswalk. So obviously I'm jaywalking. And as I do that, all of a sudden there's this police car that's on the other side of the road. No way. (laughs) And he kind of like, he flips a siren at me and I was just like... Son of a bitch, man. Am I really about to get a fucking jaywalking ticket in Johnson City, Tennessee? So I I do the thing that, like, any sensible person should do. And if, like, a police officer, an authority figure uh, flips a siren or yells stop or something, unless you know for sure that they're speaking specifically to you, don't stop. Keep going. Keep going exactly where you're trying to head. So I keep going, and this son of a bitch flips a U-turn, drives up alongside me and then pulls into the uh, entrance right in front of me. So basically his car is now, his cruiser is blocking my path. So I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? So I'm just like, God damn it. I'm about to get a fucking jaywalking ticket in Johnson City. And so he gets out, you know, and he's he's being like really friendly with me at first, but it's kind of like weird. And he's um, he's trying to like, uh, he's trying to pick you for information. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's, like, trying to, like, disarm me or whatever. He's like, uh, what are, what are you doing around here? And I was like, man, I'm just trying You're to You're not from around the these theater. parts, are you? 
he's kind of like like making small talk with me for a couple of seconds. So do you know what's going around here, going on around here uh, today? And I was just like, excuse me. And he's like, oh, are you aware of like what's going on around here today? And I was like, uh, where is this going? And he's like, oh, well, we had a bank robbery. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it was right around, uh, right down the street from here. And I was like, all right, man. And he's like, well, you just happen to match the description for the suspect in the bank robbery. And I was like, oh, well, here's the thing. I didn't rob any banks today. And he's like, he's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you didn't. He's like, but I'm going to need to get a little bit of information from you. And so, like, the thing that I know is that... Um, if, if someone is asking you if you committed a crime and you know for sure that you did not commit that crime, or even if you know that you did commit that crime, like, you are protected against self-incrimination. In this case, I'm like, okay, this is kind of a silly situation. I know I didn't do anything wrong. And I have enough of an alibi to prove that I didn't do anything wrong. You did? You did feel like you had an alibi? <laughs> yeah, well... I sit there and I go like, look, because I'm, I'm curious I, about the alibi. Just so you know, I'm curious. No, I mean, I was I was with my my work. Partner, I think you might have done it. I mean, no, if you fit no. the description, you probably did. I was did with it. him, and like that <laughs> was the thing. Is I started I started very quickly like thinking about like, okay, where was I at this time? At this time? At this time? What do I have to prove that I was where I'm going to say that I was? And yeah. so, you know, th this guy wants me to like get in the cruiser with him. He's like, yeah, I, I've got some uh, some agents that want to talk to you. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, well, what do you mean you're not going to do that? And I said, look, if, if anybody from your department wants to talk to me, I can tell you where I'm staying. You got my information because I gave him my license. I, I gave him my phone number. Uh, I told him where I was staying. I was staying at a hotel. I mean, fuck. I, my hotel was less than 10 minutes walking away. So I was mm -hmm. like... I'm trying to go watch a movie right now, man, and I know you got this thing that you're working on, but it doesn't concern me because I didn't do it, and I just want you to let me go. <laughs> and so he's like, <laughs> this guy's like, he's kind of getting a, a little uh, flustered because he knows that legally he cannot detain me, uh, but he doesn't want me to leave because someone's going to yell at him. I, I feel bad that someone's gonna yell at him, but I don't give a fuck because that doesn't concern me. So I'm just like, are you detaining me? And he's like, well, legally I cannot. And I said, okay, I'm gonna walk that way. If you need me, call me. <laughs> and he's like, well, I really want you to stay and talk to my other guys. I can be here in five minutes. And I said, I'm not gonna do that. So he, he had given me back my license. I put it back in my wallet and I continue walking down the street. So I'm going along and I'm like, wow, that was weird. I get uh, maybe another like uh, four or five blocks. And then all of a sudden this pickup truck turns into the parking lot. And it's like this parking lot for like a Sears or something. So like it's an empty parking lot. And then like the Sears is like, like several rows down. And I'm walking on the sidewalk along the street. And they park this truck uh, uh, right up against the sidewalk up in front of where I'm walking. And these two big guys with, like, you know, big bellies jump out. And I'm just like, God damn it. I know that they're coming over here to talk to me. And sure enough, they both step on the sidewalk. And as I'm walking up toward them, they start holding their hands up and like a, like a, whoa, whoa, slow down there, buddy. So I'm just like, God damn it. And 
as I'm thinking that, one of the guys flips out his wallet, fucking X-Files style, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm agent so-and-so, FBI, and I was just like, are you fucking kidding me, the fucking FBI? And he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, uh, one, of, one of the local police officers stopped you earlier, he was trying to tell you to wait up for us because we want to talk to you, and apparently you weren't willing to acquiesce or whatever, or you weren't willing to cooperate, and I was like, yeah, man, because it's my fucking civil rights. Like, I don't have to stick around because I haven't done anything wrong. And he's like, well, we just want to ask you some questions. And I'm just like, God damn. I'm like, I'm like, where's this going to fucking go? And so, like, I start texting people at that point. And I was like, hey, I'm getting stopped by the FBI. They think I robbed a bank. Uh, just so you know, in case you yeah. need to fucking come and get I, me. Yeah, and I got like, that text. I yeah, you got that text. Got that yeah. <laughs> I have a distinct memory of that. So, like, I'm standing there for a couple of minutes, and they're just like, yeah, so where were you at this time today? And I was like, uh, I was here. You know, again, I had been thinking earlier, like, okay, I need to, I need to have, like, a clear, like, timeline for where I've been. But yeah, then they, like, asked me, that. they're like, they're like, well, where were you at this time? And I was just like, oh, fuck. Like, I was at my hotel room, and I was just kind of, like, sitting around... Uh, and then I took a shower, and then I decided like when I was gonna go watch a movie. So I, I kind of was just hanging out. That's a crime, so, though, right? <laughs> yeah, hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, so I'm kind of like, I'm like, oh shit, like I'm gonna be fucking pissed if they're like, well, get in the truck with us. You have to like come back to the fucking station, and then I fucking miss the movie. They're, they're like, well, can you prove that you were at this place at this time? And I said, here's the thing. I said, I've got receipts that show I was at this place. I said, not only that. Uh, you can go to the hotel that I'm staying at. There will be footage of me walking in the door carrying my supplies that I bought with my my work partner. Um, and then not only that, it just so happened that when I got on the elevator, the person we got on the elevator with was the person who was staying in the room next to us. And we talked to him so he would remember that he talked to us, or at least I hope he would. Uh, yeah. and be able to corroborate my, my alibi. And so, like, I pulled out my phone, I started showing them some text messages, and they mm. took one look at that, and they're like, okay, you're free to go. And I was just like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> so at that point, I'm like, all right, do I need to start jogging to the movie theater? Because I still had about a half mile to go. Fun. And uh, luckily, I made it to the movie theater. Uh, the only other people that were in the movie theater at the time that I went and watched it was this older couple... And uh, at first they were talking at the beginning of the movie, and I was like, I'm going to lose my fucking mind if after everything I went through, these fucking people are going to yak through the goddamn movie. But luckily yeah. they, they got really into it, they shut the hell up, and we all enjoyed it. Um, so that's my uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane story. Well, I'm so glad you told that story. That was a hilarious story. I, I feel <laughs> like you have told me that a couple times, but that was the best telling I've ever heard of it. So, like, Well, and I the funny really thing is... That. Is is they ended up um, the the very next day they they had a, um, a a story out on the local news about the guy that robbed the bank because they they got a picture of him <laughs> and it's crazy because this guy when I looked at the picture that they had I was like holy shit like this guy's face like looks like a cross between my face and Captain Jack Sparrow because he had this like weird he had this weird like head covering on and then it With almost a hook looked on like he had. It almost looked like he like put like eyeshadow on, um, <laughs> but but his face, his nose, his cheeks, his chin actually look like mine. Um, but then in the description, they're like uh, the, the the suspect is is described as being like five nine and like one hundred and sixty pounds. I'm fucking yeah. like 
at the time I was six foot in about two eighteen. So like yeah. once I saw that I was like, oh you motherfuckers! Like if you would have just looked at that and been like, yeah this guy's clearly not the same as the suspect. <laughs> he looks like he ate the suspect. <laughs> And then the funniest fucking thing was I was still in Johnson City for a couple more days. Um, so, like, I, I went down to uh, um, I went down to the college. They have uh, Eastern Tennessee uh, State University there, ETSU. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go by the college and I'm going to go for a run because that kind of seems like a place where you might go for a run. As I'm driving down there. Uh, there's this police cruiser up ahead, and it's got its lights on and shit like that. Well, another police cruiser pulls up, uh, has its lights on. They, uh, they they park the uh, parks the cruiser. Officer jumps out. Same fucking guy that stopped me the day uh, like two days before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw him, and like for a second, because there's a little bit of traffic, I'm sitting there and I'm parked, uh, just kind of waiting at the light, <laughs> and I'm looking over, and that officer is standing. Like, 10 feet away from the window of my truck, and I'm just looking at him, and I'm like, is this fucker going to look over at me? And they'd be like, it's you! You robbed the bank! I know it! <laughs> <laughs> but he, he never fucking saw me, man. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like... Like there's there's only like one other run in that I had with the police uh, when I was like fucking 16, 17 years old. Um, and I almost got thrown in jail for uh, throwing gummy bears and uh, driving through a neighborhood at night with my friends honking the horn. Um, mm-hmm. That's the only other encounter I've had with the police that has been as much uh, uh, of a fun story to tell as this one. Because <laughs> this was just nuts. Like, I would have never imagined I would have had, like, fucking FBI talking to me, asking me if I robbed a fucking bank, unless I actually did rob a fucking bank. Well, the thing that I always think about, because I'm really into those uh, crime podcasts and crime shows, <laughs> like, you know, I think about the different ways that they manufacture evidence, because some of the ways they manufacture evidence is so built into the way that they do the case that it's just how they do it. You know, uh, like yeah. there's this there's this movie I sort of like called Gridlocked, where these dirty cops are trying to manufacture with Tupac uh, Shakur and uh, yeah. Tim Roth, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. That was like T- Tupac Shakur's last movie. Uh, no, nah, it wasn't his last movie, and it, it wasn't the one with Tim Roth. It was with James Belushi, or is it Jim Belushi, the one that's still alive? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's well, it's kind of what was, what was movie. the movie that Tupac made with uh, Tim Roth? Uh, that was, oh, maybe that was Gridlocked, and then the one I'm thinking of has a different name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gang Related is the name of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He did Gang Related and, and, uh, Gridlocked, and they were, like, back-to-back. Yeah, and those are probably his two, well... Because, like, everyone had started talking about, like, oh, uh, Tupac is about to become, like, a a really good actor, because, like, like, he, he was, he was good. Um, and then right after that, that's when he died. Yeah, like yeah. He, he died was... in between those two movies. I think yeah. I think Gang Related came out, and then he died, and then Gridlock came out. I think maybe the opposite. Gridlock came out, and then he died, and then Gang Related came out after he died. Because he was still yeah. releasing albums and movies after he died. It's just yeah. pretty crazy. He was prolific. Yeah, yeah. You know I'm a huge Tupac fan. Uh, but, um, uh, but anyway, though, uh, about... Crap, what was I talking about? 
oh yeah, I think about the way they manufacture evidence. So like, for example, they might say like, you know, you fit the description. Like that's a perfect example of manufactured evidence. Like that's not evidence. You know, there needs to be evidence that you did some, like they know what the person who did the crime did. And then they looked at what you did and it's similar. And you know, that's evidence. But the fact that you sort of match the description is not evidence. I well, I mean, think about think about the times that we live in. Um, like the thing that that immediately, uh, um, you know, eliminated their their suspicion was that I pulled out my cell phone and I showed them uh, communications that I had with people during uh, the time frame. So before and the <laughs> and after the time frame that they said that the crime happened, and that mm. was the thing that eliminated that that eliminated their suspicion. Now, mm-hmm. if you were to go back. You know, 20 years ago, um, and they stopped me in that same situation. You I'm going no back to proof. the station with them. You know, uh, yeah. I, I'm probably going to spend at least the afternoon, maybe maybe a whole night in jail until well, they can figure this whole thing out. Because they well, didn't catch also, that guy for like another three days. Well, also the the biggest way to manufacture evidence is to force a confession. Like, you know, imagine if they put you in a and, situation and where that's, you were... And that's the reason why you don't want to just go along with the police and do whatever they say because right. they're they're trying... Like, it's like what we talked about before on our episode when we were talking about making a murderer, that uh, what, what they're doing is they're not so much trying to uh, match evidence to a suspect, but they're trying to, you know, uh, make a suspect fit uh, a crime. Right. You know, they're working backward. They're saying... Well, we suspect this person, so all we have to do is figure out how they tie to the crime. Right. So you how how you, do we use the evidence to figure out who's the best suspect? Yeah. So you take a look at their alibis for the time frames, and then whatever er, wherever they don't have alibis, you say, oh well, that's when the crime happened. You know that that's yeah. manufacturing the crime. It's like you can't say that everything that happened just happened at the opposite times of what they had alibis for. Like you have to figure out whoever did the crime, what they did. And then match that with what this person really did in real life. You can't just assume that they they did all the stuff to commit the crime, and that's when it happened. So, like, they could put you in a room, for example. Like, at first, you're worried about missing Cloverfield. I mean, you know what's at stake, but you know, at first, you're worried about missing Cloverfield. But then, after a while, you're just worried about like, how can I get out of this room? Like, like they're just yeah. gonna keep pestering you until you say something that makes them relax, and like that. It's just like that sensory deprivation chamber. Like it gets to your brain. Like it, you, you know, they, it's like a hack on your brain. Like you, you can't think straight anymore when they do that to you. Well, and that's why and, you always have to sit there and say, like, you know what? Like at this point, I want to speak to a lawyer. Um, I'm done talking to you. And you know, like most people are like, oh well, I want to help the police. The police are the good guys, but they're not always the good guys. Um, which is sad because. A lot of people join the police force wanting to do good and wanting to help the community, but there's just some people that they're just bad people and they shouldn't fucking be in the police force. Um, but I think I think this actually kind of like leads us into the next couple of things that we want to talk about. Not not in a straight line, but a- along the lines of that. Um, well, I was I was gonna uh, add on to that that uh, it's my personal belief that the police maintain like. Uh, a slave class and like a master class and like the police are the ones that that press that boundary it's like who the slaves are and who the masters are so well like i mean that's 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 our society though especially based on the fact that the majority of us uh especially those of us in the western world live in a world that is dominated by imperialism 
and imperialism is based on a class system and you know that has to have like there are people at the top there are people that are just below that and there's everybody that they're sitting on top of that that work to serve the interest of the people at the top um and there's no fucking better evidence of that than the person who fucking got elected president and all of his fucking cronies that are now going to be infiltrating Washington. Um, but, you know, right. that's that's honestly no different than how shit has run for the past fucking 200 years. Um, there are people that are well-connected, very powerful, and in charge. Um, basically, like, um, you know, the people that run things in America are all people that are born into wealthy and powerful families on the East Coast that went to Ivy League schools. And, um, you know, from it's just something that's handed down from generation to generation to generation. Right. Not um, earned. Just gives yeah, no, no. a birthright. The, the, the whole idea that people, like, work hard and earn things, like, that's mostly a myth in America. Yeah, there right. are some people that work hard and they come from nothing and they earn things. But, you know, those are people that are, you know, they basically, like, at that point become folktales for everybody else, the 99%, so that, you know, the dumbest among us can sit there and say, like, oh, well, they did it, and I can do it, too. It's it's the same thing as saying, like, well, when I win the lottery, I'm going to buy a fucking 1972 Corvette Stingray, and uh, I'm going to live in a mansion, and I'm going to have, you know, two girls... Uh, that I can have sex with at the same time because you know uh, chicks will double up on a dude that has money. You know, they're fucking <laughs> dude. Warns. I just watched. I just watched Office Space like two days ago, <laughs> which I love that character and I love that actor. But uh, yeah, like there's a lot of people that just they live in a fucking fantasy world because what would they you can't do, accept Peter? the reality of their lives. What would you do, Peter, if you had a million dollars? I would do <laughs> nothing. I would sleep all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, shit. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do shit. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> hey, Peter, man. <laughs> Turn on Channel 13, man. Check out this chick. Don't she look like Anne? Well, yeah, but don't talk to me through the wall. Just, just come over. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Peter, man. Watch out for a cornhole. <laughs> all right uh so yeah um let, let, let's so, let's talk about the next thing that we wanted to talk about well, um, well let me i didn't quite finish my point on cloverfield lane so in my opinion what they're saying with that ending is that while the way he fights the aliens is to bunker down and hide she's going on the offense right he's defense and she's she's showing that an offense against these aliens that's what you need and yeah, she I, I, he, he's he represents an obstacle that she needs to overcome. And the story is all about her character and how she grows and changes over the course of the story. Um it's just it's weird because it 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 goes from being about her overcoming the obstacle of um and I keep calling him Walter Sobchak because <laughs> it's been a little while since I've watched the movie. I can't remember his character's name. I know, neither can I. I, I but, um, you know, so she's overcoming, uh, uh, you know, the obstacle that is him. He's placed her in a prison. She's breaking out of that prison. But then it immediately goes into she's battling against this alien force that's been out there this whole time that, you know, has never presented an obstacle until now. And it almost becomes a little bit too much for the audience because it's like uh, she just got through that. 
And before we can even like really relax and enjoy, you know, her escape, now it's just like, oh fuck, now there's this whole other thing. How does she manage to overcome this? I honestly thought the way the movie was going to end is she was going to die. And I was going to yeah. be like, holy fuck, that's dark as fuck, and I love it. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm a dark I, I thought, motherfucker, and I love shit like that. Yeah, I mean, I thought it would be her like banging on the door trying to get back in, and him saying no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it should have ended. It, you just wrote the perfect ending for this. It's her fucking running back to the door and realizing it's locked, and then turns around, and she realizes she's fucked, and boom, the movie ends. <laughs> All right. So um, speaking of uh, being stuck in a place and, um, you know, trapped with a psycho, um, the movie Split. Oh, yeah. You said you saw this one. I have seen Split and I've had a good amount of time to think about it. I I really anticipated before going to see it. Um, My my girlfriend actually, she's going to see it twice. Let's do this as a separate mini-sode then because that – Cloverfield was an hour, so let's do let's do this one as uh, like a mini episode because this will okay. be very timely. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So we're gonna do a, a mini sode on Split. So look for that shortly after this, and then uh, we're gonna do another one on um, the the career and movies of Shane Black. Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe not tonight, but we'll, at some point we'll definitely do that. Let's let's All let's right. uh, let's uh, say goodbye on this one. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, tune in next time to hear a review of Split. I haven't seen it. Manny has. Um, and from how anxious he is to talk about it, I think that is something to talk about. Am I right? Is that is that fair to say? There's there's stuff to talk about in this movie. Oh yeah, there's there's absolutely stuff to talk about. So all right, uh, so we'll we'll talk about it next time. You guys time. checking that out and uh, definitely listen to it uh, whenever whenever uh, you've seen that movie. All right, this is Sequelitis. I'm Matt. And I'm Manny. Thank you for listening. See you guys next time. Something's coming. It is my high honor and distinct privilege to introduce to you the president-elect of the United States of America, Donald Trump.